Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I am pleased to share a session from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference on the organizational and digital restructuring required to successfully scale mobile tools in clinical trials. The speakers are Muhammad Ali, a global head of digital trials with Bowringer Engelheim, and Joe Dustin, a principal with Medidata Solutions. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place on September 16th in Boston. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, so, hello, everybody. It's great to be back at the uh, mobile show. I love, I love this show. I would assume most How many people here are also going to DFARM tomorrow? Most everybody, okay. This is like the, 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 the way I define this to my friends and colleagues in the industry is you go to the mobile day to get in front of all the rock stars that tomorrow you guys are going to get mobbed and we can never approach you. So like today is actually the day that all the really smart people get into the room, in the smaller room. So here we are. Um, so my name is Joe Dustin. Um, I'm the director of mobile health at Medidata. Uh, I'm sitting here with Muhammad Ali, Mo. From uh, Engelheim, Boring Engelheim. And so um, we're going to do a little bit of like a fireside chat style thing. We were kind of trying to figure out what the best way to get this topic across because it's some really good content um, that we have to share. Um, but but Mo's story is actually really interesting. So if, if the title of this is A Roadmap to Organizational and Digital Restructuring, basically means how the heck do we get your companies to accept the fact that digital transformation is coming and how do you change your business? Mo's done this about three times in different three different pharma companies. And so I don't think there's anyone more qualified right now in today's world to talk about this than you. So, so just to be clear, okay, just to be clear, uh, it is never complete, right? So I have seen it across. So not past large, tense. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? Because we're, we're still doing the restructuring and the transformation as we all have seen right now. And it is an ongoing endeavor. So currently within... Uh, BI, I'm leading the digital development function for Global CleanOps. And uh, ultimately, when it comes time to uh, look at the broad, I guess, proliferation of clinical trials being done in a novel methodology across pharma, it lies upon the basic element of trust. Because if you don't have trust in understanding technology and what has happened externally and also internally what your organization has done and who has done it, you'll never be able to go through it. And before we go into more deeper discussion, I wanted to start off with something more lighthearted and a joke on trust, which I think is quite relevant because um, you'll see why. So there's these two guys who are sitting in a bar, and they're drinking quite get your, heavily. Get your Twitter fingers ready. That's a good one. <laughs> and, you know, after maybe five or six extensive, you know, very tall glasses of beers, they go to each other and say, you know what? I can fly. And the guy, another guy looks at the guy and says, humans do not fly. You're being ridiculous. Like, no, no, I can really fly, and I'm going to prove it to you. So this bar is like a rooftop bar. It's like a few stories up. And the guy goes to the balcony. He jumps down. Now, right before he hits the floor, he stops, and he starts levitating back up. He comes back up to the balcony and says, see, these beers are magical, and we can fly. So the other guy says, you know what? That means I can fly, too. I had those same beers as you. Watch. Watch me go. He just takes a running start, leaps, pff, he's dead. The bartender goes to the guy who just flew back and says, Superman, you can be a real ass sometimes. <laughs> so the truth is, the guy is trying to adapt to the culture that is being set by the precedent guy before him. But you need to understand, you can't always adapt to change or culture by somebody as presenting it to you. 
So oftentimes when you're trying to integrate any kind of new technology, such as mobile clinical trials or anything else, you need to understand the cultural aspect within the organization and how it best fits. In order to do that, you need to know what are the do's and don'ts of that culture, which may differ from whichever area or company you're working in. You need to understand who are the influencers and exactly what has happened historically that has led them to this current mindset. And who do you have to influence going forward to make sure that your cultural change can really take on what this mobile transformation really means. And it may not be something instantaneous, but may be something stepwise, which we have to keep in mind. Uh, that's a great intro. Um, so part of, part of my conversation I want to have with you is, um, so so currently you're at, you're at Boring Gringelheim, um, undergoing transformation of majority of cross-functional organization. Um, and so when, when you think about the actual digital transformation of clinical trials, fundamentally changing the process, um, what are like the big three things that you think need to change in an organization? Like what have you seen that... Um, is the pathway to success. So the first thing really is keeping an agile mindset. The second thing is understanding who the chain champions or the field of chain champions would be. And if you don't have them, in individuals in-house, then you go and you source that talent and you bring them in-house. And the third and last piece is understanding the alignment it takes from a hierarchical structure, which is the board or the executive governance committee. Ultimately, the last piece, the governance committee, needs to also harmonize with the strategic committee as well, and I'm sure every organization has this. And if you can influence their mindsets, then you'll be able to go down. The individual chain champions, right now we're working, and I'm sure every company has this, they have chain champions there who are evangelists like all of us within them, who are speaking the truth of digital trials or more. But you need to speak to them in an organic way where they cannot be looked at as mentors who are pushing things along. They need to be there to create a community of transparency, and for that, you need a centralized location, whether it's being done in an internal internet site or some kind of repository where you're actively engaging and sharing content. And then once that has also been engaged and shared, you need to acknowledge accomplishments, even if they're accomplishments or failures. And oftentimes, companies do not acknowledge accomplishments until the accomplishment is actually a success, because then they're like, oh, this was actually working really well, and the team that did really good on this is, is, is you know, a great team. But even the team that failed, to me, is a great team because the learnings from that team are very important if you want to move forward. And at the end of the day, if we don't do that effectively, then you won't go ahead. The other component is the process and your people. You need to understand the organizational goals. I can guarantee for all of us in Big Pharma, if we really dig deep, you will find that the digital role or title exists across multiple areas in your organization. But the definition of that role and title is not going to be the same as interpreted by the individual who holds that title. So what is the common definition here? And this is where you have to get behind the organization to push forward the strategy that is underlying your key goal, which at the end of the day for all pharmaceutical companies is really drug development. And you achieve that through clinical trials. So you need to understand what are the key roadblocks for clinical trials, which everyone in this room knows. But then go ahead and attach those to key emerging technologies and trends. And then once you've identified those chain champions, inform them of the, of the technologies and trends and seeing what are they working on. And then inform the chain champions of those trends across each other, saying that you are working on the exact same thing as this person. Why don't we work together to share lessons learned to create a roadmap for a greater building block on this technology? Okay, so 
Does the process come before the people or the people become before the process? Ideally, you want the process outlined first. Okay. And people, I would say, from that point, you would then be able to identify the gaps in the process for the people you need to fill those gaps. If you don't know what your gaps are in your process, you don't know what kind of people you actually would need at that point. So when you identify the gaps in the process, where, like, what kind of people would you then look for for a team like that? Because I would think the people that are thinking in the mindset of clinical trials of 15 years ago were probably not the people that would be the best for that job. But um, where, where do you find those people? What, what needs to change? Like, would you look outside the normal places that so you would, like, try and get people from Google? Where are, you, where are you getting? So I'll give you an example. So in my previous roles, one of the key things that I had done as this digital strategy piece was ongoing was to hold a, a gap analysis workshop of every SOP in the company as well as their process maps. And in those gap analysis, there were opportunities identified as to what has uh, been working, what has not been working, what are the delays, and how do we go and attribute that to new technologies that currently exist. And then from there, you're identifying exactly what the gaps are. If there's a machine learning individual you need, if it's, a, if it's a data scientist person you need, if it's a clinical trial specialist you need that has looked at uh, a patient-specific profile, then we need to start engaging the development of the platform going forward. So those are the key areas you need to understand. But the, the main profile that I think many companies don't have, they may have evangelists, but they don't necessarily have evangelists who are familiar with the subject content who are translators at the same time. So you may have somebody who's a digital evangelist, but not necessarily a digital evangelist who has done clinical trials from phase two, phase three, phase four, who understands the process of a study startup, of the contractual process of getting the investigators on board, of a drug shipment process, of getting the drugs on site, of understanding the, the ploys of an investigator when they have to go through the, the traditional paradigm of paperwork versus that on a, an automated platform. And, if you can find those individuals and bring them together, then you can create a co-champion who can go ahead and influence the organization. But it takes a lot of digging, and it takes a lot of um, commitment from the functions because they have to devote those resources. And these resources need to be devoted, and they cannot be looked back saying, I'm going to take this person back after the job is done because that transformation is an ongoing effort that will take at least years. So let's talk about time. So you've, you've outlined a few different steps right now, looking at the process, looking at the people, gaining trust from the right people, going to the board, in some cases to go top down. Um, how long have you been at this process at the moment in your current role? So I've been only at BI 15 months so far. Okay. Right? So before, before I joined BI, there was, there was not um, a cohesive digital, um, I guess, clean op strategy, specifically. Now there is one. And uh, it has taken at least about a year or so just to get the right individuals informed and aligned at the right level. And that's, that, to me, is really fast, if you think about it, uh, where it could have taken longer. But um, in that time frame, there is now a clear path forward in terms of investments, in terms of key areas of focus and projects, people, and types of people, skill sets that we would need as well as the needs identified to build, as such as centers of excellences or other areas of, of, of functions. And you mentioned that this really never stops. But it's, if you're 15 yes. months in, yeah. and for people here that, I don't know what, everyone here, depending on what company you work in, are probably in some stage of that 15 months or longer. How much longer do you think you have until you feel like, okay, we've hit the first round, like we're, we, we are transformed, or at least like... You're never transformed. Never? Yeah. It never happens? Yeah, because Ugh. it goes back to a... Uh, a quote from Winston Churchill, right? So, um, no success is ever final and no, no um, failure is ever fatal. 
Because if you think your success is final, you've already lost. Because what you're looking at as success as today is not going to be success as final for tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. The world is constantly changing. You need to constantly evolve with it. Speaking of change, um, technology changes faster than anything. I just got the notification on my phone that my <laughs> new Apple Watch just arrived at my house. And um, Amir just ordered his today. And it's going to be, what, a month for you? I got it before you. The, um, and so I only ordered it because of all the new tech that's in there, right? The amount of technology that changes so fast is, is you know, 15 months is a long time. So when you think about technology as a role, as probably the third piece, people process technology, um, well, process people technology in that order, it seems. Um, where do you think um, the trends you're seeing, like it, if half this room, maybe maybe a little less than half of this room are like technology people, vendors, or experts in their farm, in their companies, what do you think is good? Like, what should we keep doing? And what do you think we should stop doing? Like, what are the good trends that you're seeing that you want to see more of and more, less of? So from a vendor perspective, I think everything that is I've seen so far today and, of course, the previous years, I think we should continue doing, only because it's one of the external pressures that will drive the industry towards change. And without this external pressure, I don't think people will actually end up changing. So you need to have this pressure continuously exerted at all times. Stop doing, I wouldn't say stop doing anything, to be honest. The only thing I would say is maybe stop being uh, afraid to take a chance or a risk. But again, that fear is only reduce when you build up trust. And that trust is only going to be built up once you engage yourself and other individuals like you, like everyone else has, has said before, to create a community to understand achievements and to really outline what those achievements mean for you. And you can go ahead and rely back on them. But you need to continue that, that external pressure. I mean, the, a good example is what Amazon and Verily and Apple are currently doing in the space. They want to revolutionize drug delivery for everyone. Right, and they're they're creating define, define delivery. So in so, that so pretty much not, not delivery. Well, I guess Amazon maybe literally delivery for Amazon. I guess right, but for others like Verily and Apple, it's really defining what does it trigger to someone to get a drug prescribed to them. What does that mean, right? What kind of data sets are they really collecting now that will go ahead and challenge us in pharma? So from a pharmaceutical perspective, there was a, a recent uh, survey that was actually done by Accenture in the U.S. across 4,500 uh, patient participants. And they asked one key question on that survey, and, this, and the question was, who do you trust sharing your data most with? And to no one's surprise, the number one individual that the patient would share their data most with is their uh, primary care physician. Number one, but, and there was like seven or eight different choices, but number four on that list was actually very surprising. And it was, I, I found that shocking because it was before um, family, I believe. And that four were insurance providers at almost 63 or 65%, something like that. And it's a pretty high number when you're looking at about a four and a half thousand sample size altogether. Now what this tells me are that uh, Patients can be incentivized to, get, to give their data back because either you're getting some kind of benefit in terms of your cost of care or medication, et cetera. But what the insurance companies are really getting, they're, they're building this overall digital uh, footprint on you, which really is outlining your patient profile or your health profile. And 
maybe this is just me in a conspiracy theory talking, but from a pharma perspective, when we're going, and uh, it's, it's very similar to how uh, the individual from Merck said it, you know, we're doing our trials, and that 50 hours a year or whatever or so, uh, that, that this person is going into the visits, and the remaining hours that you're not knowing what's happening, if these individuals are sharing their data and they're, they're giving their health data through wearables or other sensors, et cetera, there's a lot more continuous, continuous data that they're getting on that person than normally would have on a trial. So when we go ahead and create our trials and we go for registration and filing and we stand up there and saying, this drug works, all the payers and insurers companies could say, well, we have data points on this person that you normally don't have. And maybe this drug doesn't necessarily work like the way you're saying, why should we reimburse you the same amount you're asking for in theory, right? That could be a question that could come up. And within pharma, are we creating that data repository and infrastructure to get those data points so we can potentially challenge them in the future, right? And I think that's, that, that's the kind of correlation that we need to start thinking about now. So we've got a few minutes left. Um, what do you think, it's a very broad question, but what, what do you think in some years when some major market shift occurs, whether it's in how pharma operates, get new drugs and devices and whatever or not to, to market, the regulators fall in line, and healthcare is transformed in a way where we get either access to therapies or preventative meds or something easier, cheaper, faster, or we're finally switched to fee-for-outcomes versus fee-for-service. What is the thing that happens in your mind that says, ah, we did it? What's what's the first thing that happens that says it's finally working? Because we can all we're going to spend for another ten years. This is going to keep going on mm -hmm. five years from now. Because I was looking back at slides from DFARM 2013 when um, we were on stage talking about things uh, very similar to today. But the only difference, really, I think, from five years from now, this is my perspective, um, is that the trends haven't changed, but way more people have adopted Correct. it. And there's yeah. way more evidence of people have actually done studies. They've gotten funding inside their companies to do the things. And there's more startup companies that are popping and trying to get into the game, which is a good sign. And so another five or 10 years from now, mm -hmm. what's the thing that happens that says how so right, yes. So right now, I would say we're at a state of mass experimentation. Okay. We're not at a state of disruption, not yet, right? And the reason I say that is if you look on clintrials.gov and you just type in the word digital or mobile, et cetera, you will see tr a tremendous amount of hits come up now that you normally would not have seen in the past, right? So yes, that has grown significantly. But then if you dig deep as to really what everyone is doing, it is not something that you would scale across, right? So I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think it all points in the right direction that we're going towards scalability because eventually what this is showing me is really it's building a community of individuals who believe. And that community is growing larger and larger. And like every democracy and every, every pretty much revolution that has happened in the history of mankind, it has taken a mass in, number of individuals to push change through. And I think we're on our way towards that. But since we have a minute and a half and I'm the only one talking, I'm going to ask you some questions now. So, yeah. You could also ask the crowd if you want. Oh, you could do that too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, give me just one for you, Joe. So I would say... What are the key technological trends you should focus on when you're looking to um, invest from a vendor perspective? Uh, and if you were to treat it like a household budget, where you would have a wish list and things you just need to do no matter what, and understanding with the way industry is going, how would you break that down? You know, it's funny. We did this. We did this exercise of metadata with our customers like a year ago. We gave everyone $100 in like this cross forum and said, "What would you invest? Where would you put your money?" 
And it was really interesting where um, about 60% of the dollars from the majority of the people there were putting money into things that would just make their frustrations go away and make lower the burden on them in, as far as technology and automation when it comes to processes. The other, the other 40% was really trying to lower the burden of patients and sites and, and the costs on their budgets. Like if we do this, then hopefully the cost should go down. So in my mind, the trends are automation um, and good technology that's, that's set up online to bring the cost down overall for running a study, but also lowering the burden to get into, you know, what we're all doing, trying to do today is either decentralized trials, get more access to recruit more patients, to then, you know, if the call to action for a study is download this app, enroll, and then remote consent, and then we send stuff to your house like Tomas is going to do this month sometime, um, it's way better than, like, drive 100 miles to a site and get poked. You know, so I think that, that that is where the trend is going, um, and that's that's where I see a lot of the companies working on. And then, maybe one more, and oh, I guess we're out of time, though. No, no more then. Do we have time, Dan, or no? About no. From, from any of you, any of you have any <laughs> questions for Mo or myself? You guys solved all the problems. There we go. Fantastic. No Sorry. Right. Yeah. Well, Mo, thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place September 16th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. And for getting to the end of this podcast, take advantage of a 10% discount with code MRADIO. Again, that's a 10% discount with code MRADIO. And the website is theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.